You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking GoWild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting spartanforge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND. That's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout. and That'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. Man, I am absolutely jacked up about this episode this week because uh, one of my closest friends, probably in the world, honestly, is uh, going to be co-hosting with me today. We got 
Adam Cruz, a familiar uh, voice, familiar face, familiar personality on the show. We've had him as a guest, and he's going to co-host. Adam, how's it going in Tennessee, buddy? Parker, man, that's uh, – hey, I appreciate the kind words, man. I always refer to you as one of my best friends as well, so that's pretty neat. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to talking with Jason and, and you as well. Adam, I remember a time uh, – <laughs> I remember when we became friends, but before that we weren't really friends at all. Uh, oh. You – and actually I believe it was with you and Walter, who I would both consider to be two of my greatest friends – you, you, one of y'all said something that was like pointed on Facebook. It was like pointed, and I took it with so much offense. And <laughs> I, I, I still believe that you were talking about me on it, um, because you're talking about. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, you, you said something about there's. I can't. I can't even remember exactly how you said it. But anyways, it's not important. The point was yeah. that it was pointed at me, and I was like, "Gosh, what a douchebag, man! Like, what a jerk." <laughs> And, uh, and then me and you went to, a. <clears throat> you needed a room. You, you needed to call on me at this point. You needed a place to stay in Kentucky. And, uh, we, we bonded while going out in a monsoon storm to go get my kayak out of the woods. And here yeah. we are now you're here. We almost died together and we, we yeah. bonded right after that moment, <clears throat> almost getting struck by lightning. It was awesome. Yeah. That's the, to this <laughs> day, to this day, the closest I've ever been to getting struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, welcome. so Anyways, glad you're here, dude. Um, Thanks for hopefully, having me, hopefully get to hear your voice a little bit more often. And uh, but you are officially done with deer season in Tennessee, right? It's over. Yeah, I've been officially done for way too long, man. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to turkey season at this point. Yeah, turkey season is uh, is about to be here, and I'm pretty fired up. Uh, in Florida, I got to hear some turkeys gobble, which was pretty cool. And in Mississippi, I got to see like five different long beards and it made me realize that I'm ready for turkey season. I'm ready to hang up the, hang up all the deer stuff and get into turkey season. I'm fired up about it. But that being said, we are still continuing deer episodes for probably the next, uh, we'll, we'll get into turkey episodes, maybe, maybe late February, something like that. But Alabama still got deer season going on. Mississippi still has deer season going on. Florida does. Uh, I think Georgia's over. Um, Arkansas still has some. So there's still a lot of Southern states that are still going strong and a lot of Alabama's still peak rut right now. So, um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna leave those guys in the dirt. We're still going to talk about deer. And this week we are joined by a man who, uh, knows a thing or two about deer, and that is Jace Allen from Missouri. Jace, how's it going up there? Pretty good. How are you doing, man? We're doing good. Trying to stay warm. Um, I would, if I if I had to imagine though, I would say you're probably in a little colder climate than we are. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. It's been. Oh, uh, it was actually. I think it was what seven, six or seven degrees up here this morning. Yeah, so it's a little chilly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I ain't about that life. It's like maybe yeah. 30 degrees outside and I'm freezing. I got my bogging on in my basement. <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I just wasn't cut out for this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I love this stuff. This is, this is a late, well, if it was still season, a late, late season hunters dream right here. Sure. 
You know, late yeah. season is a is a is a fun thing to talk about. And the older I get, the more I like it. The more I like late season, um, because it seems to me to be a little more, I don't know, predictable if you have the right resources. If you have the right places available, uh, mm-hmm. those deer start getting pretty predictable. Are you in a place where late season is a is a pretty productive time? Oh yeah, absolutely. I. I love late season. I, and I carried that through, you know, to another state, um, late season. It's just like you get into that, you know, around here, you know, late December, January, you add in crop around here, you know, specifically standing crop and, uh, man, it, it, it can be like taking, you know, candy from a baby. What'll, what'll happen is you'll have, if it gets really cold and really nasty, I mean, that standing food, you know, it'll move deer and deer will get displaced and they, the deer that are getting displaced, they might not have ever, you know, even seen that area. Maybe it was getting hammered during November, but these deer that are moving in for this late season food, they have no idea what's going on. So it's uh, it's literally pulling deer from all over the place. If there's some, if there's good, good food sources right there. Oh yeah, and that's and that's what I look for is really, really good food sources. You can get deer spread out if the weather's not not quite what you want, but uh, usually it'll still still pull some deer, or at least put them on some sort of a pattern that you can find and capitalize on. Is there anything? And we're not we're really not going to be talking much about late season hunting strategy. Um, yeah, but it is a is a cool icebreaker, I think, because a lot of southern states, a lot of guys in the south are still hunting. It's still, mm-hmm. it's, they still got plenty of season. Um, do you think that there is any other um, working tactic that you see in a place like Missouri where there's a lot of deer and we got a lot of good deer and there are a lot yeah. of crops? Is there another late season tactic other than food? Other than food? I don't know. My mind just goes to, you know, food, 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 you know, all all year round, you know, whitetail, you know, they revolve around, around food, you know, whenever it gets, whenever it gets cold, um, you know, f- food, um, I guess if I had to, had to think, that's a good answer. Yeah. That's the answer I was hoping you would say, uh, because what, one of the things that I find, and, and if we talk more about like private land, um, mm. private land st- type of hunting, which is the majority of the people who hunt down here are on some type of lease hunting club. So I know a lot of people listening to this aren't just public land guys. They've got places to hunt. What I find, and Adam, Adam, is it legal to bait in Tennessee on private land? No, not at all. Okay. So, but y'all do have, y'all have more agriculture and stuff than we do down here. Yeah, I would think so. Especially like West and uh, this middle Tennessee area for sure. So you, you can, your guys in late season in Tennessee, they can, they really can focus around those ag fields down here. There's not just a ton of it. There's a little bit, but not a ton. But what I find people always do is they'll be, uh, they'll have their corn piles out or whatever, or feeders running. I mean, and they will be religious about it from the opener all the way to about maybe new year's. And, mm-hmm. and then they just get tired of it. Corn's expensive. I get it. Um, there haven't been seeing bucks on those corn piles and corn feeders because I mean, that's, you hear that a lot. Mature bucks won't come into a, into a corn feeder. 
Um, they've learned to stay away from them. But whenever it gets late season and you don't have ag around, you don't have any crops around, I'm telling you those food sources, even if it's a corn pile or a feeder, like that's the time when I think pe- people need to just kind of, you know, throw some corn in there every once in a while in the early season and then the during the rut. But whenever it gets to this late season when everything's gone, freaking <laughs> go to town on it. That's when you need to I be mean, hunting it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's pretty much the same thing I do, except it's just a glorified uh, bait hunting is, is really all it is. I mean, I'm looking for looking for corn. I'm looking for beans, you know, uh, or, you know, other other food sources, you know, maybe wheat or something like that. And I mean, it's not much not much different, you know, limited food um, foods there. It's good. You, you can have a ball. I was talking to. Uh, a guy who was a, an intern for Tethered this year, his name's Caden, and we were talking about, he went up and filmed our buddy Adrian Killabuck in North Dakota. This, uh, I mean, it was not long ago, it was cold and snowy, and he said it was literally nonstop action from daylight till dark in those cornfields. Like, n- there was never not a deer in front of them. All day long, yeah. there was deer in front of them. Um and it's just not, it's not what you think of, you know, it's not what you think of when you think of, uh, late season and it's cold and, and, you know, all the food is pretty much gone, but they, those deer really key in on, on those food sources. And so I think that's a, you know, nice little golden nugget to start off the episode with, but Jace, you had a freaking killer season. Um, tell everybody kind of just in a nutshell, like sh- short form, how your season went this year. Well, I started off, um, actually kind of started last year. I went on my first out of state adventure. Um, I was in Illinois, uh, killed two really good bucks in Missouri, but just didn't, just couldn't put the, just couldn't put the third one together. So, um, this year going into season, I, I was like, I'm getting, I'm getting three, um, and uh, end up killing on September the 23rd, uh, November the 13th, and then January the 3rd, um, which was something I, I'd, well, I kind of wanted to do too um, if I was going to go for three. Get one early season, rut, late season. And, uh, and you know, we went out, went out there and did, did exactly that. Um, That's pretty biggest cool. Biggest public land box on the on the ground and uh and got another another good one for the wall for november that was a private land deer so i saw i know the one that you you killed in uh in i believe it was a missouri deer the one that you killed on public land um mm-hmm. the the earlier season one uh, i remember yeah. i remember when you first posted that because it was really one of the i'm not going to say it was the first but it was one of the first like substantial deer that i saw killed of the season like just a really really nice buck and also you had mm. some really good photos taken of it too and i kind of those yeah. those kind of things stick in your mind and i was like man i need to watch this guy through the season and see how he does and obviously i picked the right season to do that because because <laughs> uh, you had a killer year um right but talking about about that buck um and then the the two other bucks that followed that just to give listeners an idea of the caliber of deer that you were killing this year was, was there like a, if you had to give like an average or like a a median uh, score of 
your three deer, what would you say was about average of them? Uh, it's like right there at uh, just short of 140. That's kind of what was I figured. The, yeah, it's average between the three. Um, it would have been bumped up a little bit. That last one was a little busted up, but that's okay. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, 140 inch deer is a solid buck, especially when you're talking about a three buck average. Um, yeah. That's pretty killer. That's a pretty good season. So obviously, right, Adam, you've talked to enough guys, I think, that you know whenever these kind of seasons happen and just talking to Jace, like just before we hit record and kind of talking about his different seasons, very consistently killing deer. Um, what's one thing that you notice about guys like that who are just so consistent for me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's uh guys that are doing it like that are putting in their time. And that was one of the things that I was going to ask Jace is, you know, since we're talking about stats, uh, how many days do you think you sat in the stand this year? I hunted for myself for 20 days this year. That's pretty freaking good. At, that's good odds. <laughs> Dude, that is not what I was expecting. <laughs> not at all. That no, just totally blew uh, that one up. Killed the question. <laughs> I only hunted three times, actually, all season long, three times. <laughs> it, it was it was, it was, was a little a little nutty. It was, it was 19 or, or 20 days. It took, took eight days on the first one. Uh, the second one, I I literally climbed in my climbed in my tree stand, um, and two minutes later, I shot that buck. And then the um, then the third one, I killed it on the fourth day. I mean, that's that's pretty. So I will say this now. Um, I'm gonna try to set it up since since that question was totally ruined. Uh, <laughs> uh, were you expecting him to say something like uh, 67 days in the tree this year? Honestly, I was going bug. 60. Like that's exactly <laughs> what I was expecting. That's funny. So there's a, there is a, still a consistency with guys who do that, right? There's yeah. Um, oh yeah, because there are people out there who are doing this kind of, you know, where, where they're having odds like that, where it feels like every time, every time you log on to Facebook or Instagram, like that guy killed another freaking buck. Um, and it's typically, typically the guys who may not spend as much time in the woods because they're killing it every time they go, it seems like, but they're putting a whole lot of time and effort into the front end of things. Would you say that's where a lot of your work comes from? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I still yet spend anywhere from 200 to 250 days out in the field. And uh, th- those weren't the only days I, I hunted this year. I'll hunt with other people whenever whenever my tags filled. So I, I spent around 50 days out, out in the field this year. Um, but yeah, it's just that, you know, especially that, that first one. I mean, there was, there, there was so many days that went into that first hunt it's just I, I mean basically you know an entire summer you know going out there maybe not every day but every day that i can so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into the front end of that and the the second one uh, that's that's just years and years and years of experience that's a property that i've you know grow grown up hunting um, I never hunted that particular spot, but just because I know the area and the deer in that area so well, it was just a, a no brainer to me. And then the, uh, then the last one was, it was just like a continuation of my hunt from, from last year. Um, 
and pretty much just catching back up to what those deer were doing and then you know getting in between them and you know the the bed and the food and which sounds simple right like it it goes back to what we were talking about beforehand you know with with late season stuff i know that that last one you said the the third one was illinois right is that right yes sir all right so third one's illinois ruts plenty gone by january 3rd is when you kill that Mm -hmm. one ruts not even a a thought at that point it's completely late season um and uh, and you're talking about going from getting in in the middle of food and bed. Now, one of the things I know from hunting late season places like Kentucky, I've hunted late season in Kentucky before um, around the January time frame. And I saw more significantly more deer in that time frame than I did even, you know, earlier in October and in September when they're really supposed to be hitting the beans and stuff pretty hard and cut cornfields yeah. and all that stuff. But I saw more deer in that late season. I think that goes back into what you were talking about. Like it's bringing these deer from all over, right. To these, to these food sources when every deer, while in the early season, they still have got, they've got acorns and they've got a lot of good browse to, to munch on and stuff Mm -hmm. to where they don't even have to hit the fields at all. But the late season, all that stuff's gone. Right. And and did you, was that playing a part, a pretty big part in your, third buck this year oh yeah absolutely i mean you know not not only is the food sources limited but also the bedding's limited um just because all that foliage you know anywhere that they could have you know been early season um not not to say that they won't they won't bed in spots like that you know still but uh but you just get concentrations of deer and, and just like you were saying um you know, you get, you get limited food source and the right kind of weather conditions, you know, that can move a whole lot of, a whole lot of deer, especially in a, you know, an area where there's uh you know, where there's private nearby and, uh, and there's just a, a really high deer density, um, that can really, really move around some deer. Adam, do you find, uh, when you're listening to him talk, I, I feel like your your mind is going to a certain place in Kentucky where you have experienced yeah. similar things. Is that kind of what you've experienced there as well? Absolutely. And really my late season, uh, being able to see deer pile into fields and into one congregating into one area has been up in that Kentucky area just based on the type of habitat that's up there versus what I'm hunting down here. So, yeah, my mind's going straight there as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good thing. Like, whenever I think, I, I'll, every time I talk to a guy that's from, like like yourself, Jace, that's from a little further north, I'm trying to figure out, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm trying to find parallels for uh, guys who are listening, who the majority of our listeners are going to come from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, um, Mississippi. That's just, that's just where the majority of our listeners are are from and so I'm trying to I'm always trying to find these these parallels with that and I think one of the things that you said that I don't know that I've ever really thought about much is the fact that the bedding cover is pretty much gone right now yeah. I mean in a lot of those um a lot of the the hill country type bedding that you hear talked about so much a lot of that is gone and mm-hmm. there's still a lot of pressure in the woods, so the deer aren't just bedding in the wide open. They're yeah. finding those 
spots that still carry a lot of the, it's really going to be, maybe you've seen this there too. The, not so much the, the it's going to be more the high stem count areas, not mm-hmm. necessarily just a lot of leaves and junk. It's like, it's gotta be the high stem count type stuff. Is that what you've seen there? Oh yeah, absolutely. And we have, I don't know if you guys have it down South, but, uh, um, a lot of autumn olive. Okay. Autumn olive. I think there's Russian, Russian olive. I'm not completely sure what that is, but, um, autumn olive, high stem count, green briar. Uh, they love, love bedding in that green briar, you know, in some bottoms, maybe get out of the wind. Um, but yeah, that high stem count, exactly what you said. So finding that parallel, um, Adam, what, what do you, when you think of Tennessee, what would you say would be like a parallel for what Jace is talking about for a, a guy from Tennessee to kind of draw from? Man, you know, the, I just go back to really the, the food source for me. I mean, if you can find um, a really solid food source with that standing beans, if that's a, an old cornfield that had been cut, uh, and then you can find something that that's thick nearby and usually some ditches and some low areas or with high stem counts. I mean, that's just kind of the winning recipe. It seems like. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, and it's a little bit different for me when I'm thinking about the areas that I hunt because I don't have that. Right. But I can find, um, the places that do have the higher stem counts, just the, I'm always kind I'm always focusing on those, but probably through the month, just about the whole month of December, my mind is rut. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about rut movement. Um, in the place that I hunt now, there's other parts of Alabama where they're thinking about rep movement right now. And so they don't even really have to care about what we're talking about nearly as much because those bucks are just going to be where the hot does are at. Um, but where I'm specifically at, I have found that the, regardless of if there, there's, there's going to have to be some type of food source nearby, and I just always kind of assume if I'm hunting on public land, I always kind of assume that that's going to be on somewhere on the private, right? It's going to be where the, the food plots are at. I don't know why people do this, but they throw a, a corn feeder in their food plot. And yeah. uh, that's still one of the things. What up, man? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, just as well. Yeah. Um, but you just kind of have to, so you find those thickets that are on those property lines and really key in on like it it takes we've talked about this before and jace you've probably done this too where you have things certain things that you're looking for on a giant piece of public land and you're looking at a map and you're like man i just don't even know where to start you can start zoning in on these little tiny areas and all of a sudden the place doesn't look so big anymore it's less intimidating oh yeah yep yep i did that i did that twice this year once with the September buck and then uh once with the January buck. Uh with the September buck, I was like uh the area that that the deer I killed where he was living, um it was maybe a wood lot that was oh crap, I don't know, maybe ten acres. And uh then the um uh, the Illinois buck, it was uh it was about about two, it, it was a bigger wood lot. It was two miles across. But compared to the rest of the public land that was around there, um, it was a very, very small chunk. And just being able to go in and just be like, all right, I have plenty of time. I'm just going to kind of work my way, work my way into this piece, 
you know, hunt it thoroughly. And it just seems like you hunt it a lot, a lot better and just a lot more effective rather than like, well, I need to like throw one hunt at this and, and then, you know, get, get out of here. Yeah. I think I've been a little, a little too aggressive in the, in the past or, or, or maybe, maybe not too aggressive, but like I'll go in somewhere and I'll just like mark it off. Yeah. It, it, you know, in, in an area that, that big. And I, I think that's something that I've, I've struggled with a little bit, a little bit in the past, just knowing what to pass up and what not to. You know, I've, I hear that. And, and you always hear the, the phrase, the first sit, best sit and, mm. and so many different little, little things that people say and, and ways that you, you try to be effective. So I try to be effective by saying, okay, I'm going to go scout this area. If I don't find anything I like, then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go focus on another area until I find something that I really like. And that has helped me mm. a lot. You know, it has helped me a lot, but I, I was just telling somebody the other day that I feel like I've cheated myself probably out of a lot of good areas because when you go in, if you find a big buck track that's fresh, and mm-hmm. I would say most of the time, if you go into scout a place, there's a good chance you're going to find at least one set of big buck yeah. tracks. I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer, and you tell me if you agree with this, Chase. I'm a firm believer that uh, probably just about every square mile has a big buck coming through it. Yeah, yeah, probably. At some point. You just got to figure them out, right? Mm-hmm. And so yep. it's like like going back to what you said, finding those those chunks and really like giving it its its fair shake and like yep. really giving it its time because if you can devote all your time I've got a spot uh where I killed two of my bucks this year uh in Alabama I killed two bucks in the same spot and mm-hmm. it's a spot that I pretty much had marked off like I don't I don't hunt it a lot um yeah and just happened to go in at the right time I knew there was deer in there there's always big bucks in there it kind of proved that yep. point to me that like if you can find those and just really break it down, you might just be fifty yards off of your setup and you never saw the deer that came through. Um, All right. I mean, you, you know, you get into that rut and some of these spots, like just off the top of my head, the best rut spot that I know of, there's no sign there. There's yeah. there's none. There, there's nothing, and it's just like you have to be there and actually hunt it to know what's coming through there. And I like I said, it's something I struggle with because it's just like, all right, so do I, I throw one hunt at everything or, and, you know, just try to figure something out like that or really, um, you know, really diving into one area and really dissecting it and, uh, you know, just blocking something off. And then, you know, when you're done with that, you know, move on to the next one. That seemed to be, to be more effective. Can we yeah. pause on that, uh, that rut spot you were just talking about? What may, yeah. if there's no sign there, what made you continue to go back? Was it terrain features? Was it habitat? There was deer there. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Whatever, like there's no, there's this, uh, this spot that, um, these bucks come through. It, it's not like there's a bunch of deer coming through. It's usually it's one deer and if, and it's going to be a buck, you know, usually, you know, something three years old and older, you could take me through that spot for the next hundred years. I would tell you that, no, this is, you know, you're, you're not going to do any, any good here until you actually get in there. And then you have that big sucker walk through. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, 
I, I'm, so you just got to see it with your eyeballs, you know? Yeah. I, I can, man, like, I can think of several spots off the top of my head that are just like that deer in the rut, especially. Like, yep. something there, like, I just happened to go in blind maybe one morning and saw a bunch mm-hmm. of deer, and so it made me keep coming back. But one spot that I talk about a lot, it's called Kill Hill. Uh, so me and Dad have called it because it just feels like if you go in there during the rut, you, there's a good chance you're going to kill a buck. Like we've killed yep. a bunch of bucks off the same spot. And it's like that, dude. Like there's no sign there. There's no reason other than going yeah. in blind in the dark one morning. There's no reason I would ever hunt it. None. Yep. There's just nothing. Yep. Nothing really there. Mm-hmm. And then like going back to your point you go there and you see how the deer move through it and you see what they're doing. And all of a sudden like puzzle pieces start kind of coming together. Like, Oh, well there is a good reason to hunt it. That's why they're hunting here or that's why they're, yep. they're moving through here. Um, mm-hmm. that's a, uh, that's just, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's funny you said that Adam, because I was just about to ask you, what is that? How do you feel about that? Like spots that you feel like suck and they end up being really good. Um, so it's funny you asked that question at the same time I was about to ask you the same thing. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm a lot of this, a lot of this, what we're talking about is uh, really kind of validating some of the thoughts that I've had and hearing it from a guy who's seeing it halfway across the country work out the same way is, mm. is, uh, is validating, I think, and probably do a lot of people. It, it validates a lot of people listening. So, I want to talk real quick about um, this idea that we talked about before we hit record. Um, And one of the things that you do that, man, I just suck at it. I don't have the patience for it. And I probably should learn. And this, this idea of observation sits and doing maybe, maybe at times doing more observing than actually going in for a kill. So, so yeah. tell me a little bit about that. When, why you started doing it, and how you kind of saw your hunting style, kind of, I'm not going to say revolve around it, but you, you started focusing on that a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if you think about it, uh, I'm just gonna, I'll just kind of make up a situation here. We'll just go from there. So you have this this big long, uh, you know, field edge, and there's like you know a strip of standing corn along the along the whole thing, and there's just, you can walk down the edge of this corn and you can see, you know, there's a trail coming in here, trail coming in here, trail coming in here. And, you know, let's say there, you know, you throw some dips in there too, to where if you went and sat on the field edge and tried to hunt, you know, one of those trails, you know, you, you might be right, but it, it, it might take you like, you know, 10 tries you know, to work your way down that field edge and, you know, try to figure out which one, you know, these deer or a specific deer, you know, is coming out of. If you sit back and you watch the whole field edge, you can figure out in one night what those deer were doing, what it would take you, you know, 10 nights, you know, going, going in there and actually, you know, hunting at each, each individual trail. So it's, it's just a, it's just an efficiency thing. Um, this uh this september buck for for example i was able to um with this deer is there's a couple bucks bedding in this area 
this area was fairly close to the parking lot and i've noticed with with deer that are you know maybe a little closer to uh you know human pressure you know they kind of think they're hiding those areas are a little more touchy so rather than go in there and get boots on the ground get my scent in there let these deer know they're being hunted i can sit back from afar and watch these things and what they're doing and not even have to go in there until i'm until i'm ready to go in and kill um obviously that that helps if you're you know you're in some really open country with this january buck so there was part of the observation that went in went into that like i like i was talking about earlier before we hit record it was a spot that i could kill but i could also observe so let's just say you have two points that are north and south of each other and they're running east and west and I have a south wind. Based off the knowledge I know last year and where I'm thinking these deer are bedded and where they're going to be moving through to go hit this corn or, you know, stand beans or whatever. With a south wind, I can sit on this northernmost point and any deer that's going to be coming up the point that I'm on I'm going to be able to kill them, but any, any deer that are coming up this other point, they're going to go ahead and move out of bedding, transition up this point, you know, to the staging area into their, uh, into, you know, their feeding area. And I can sit back and no deer are going to win me on that, on that point. That's, you know, further to my South. And those deer are going to move through. They're going to do their thing. And they're not even going to have a clue that I'm in the world. So rather than maybe try to really push that bedding area and like the first time a deer comes out, you know, you better, you know, get them, you know, you better get them killed else, you know, they're going to know what's, what's going on, you know, just sit back a little bit and, and watch and then, you know, really move in and, you know, make your strike the next day. Um, let's see. Trying so, to think what to say next. No, so so that's fine. I, I I I was I was wondering in a for a guy in my situation, like I said, trying to draw a parallel here where I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of ag. It seems like it seems like it is still going to be one of the most valuable pieces of information, even in a even in an observation set. It's mm-hmm. one of the most valuable information pieces of information you're going to be able to need is where are the deer feeding at? Like, what are they eating? Um, and if you're here, you could, you know, early season in October, um, even in November, knowing where the hot feed sign, hot feed trees are at, uh, knowing what Mm. trees are dropping acorns, um, Mm. and things like that, that that's a good way to observe and, and not have to go in and sit immediately. Right. You can know where the, the tree is, Right, you can know yeah. where that food source is, um, but to find out your best odds of, you know, catching a buck before dark, mm. you know, being able to to go in those areas where you you still have to know where the the food and the bedding is. Like you got to, yeah. those are like inevitably you're you have to know those things. Otherwise, you're just kind of throwing a sit in the dark. I was just trying to draw a parallel on as far as like 
how how a guy in the southeast without without crops um yeah could do effectively do a observation sit um and it seems like that's still a pretty important piece of the puzzle like when you have cornfields you know right you know that's where that's the food source that they're going to and we got to figure out mm-hmm. how to get you know between them um and 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 I think it's still possible I really do I think it's still possible to do exactly what you're talking about but you still I I'm thinking about one spot for example uh, a good early season spot that I have up on top of a hill um there's a clear cut which mm. you can kind of assume that the deer are going to bed in that cut and down at the mm. bottom at least this year at the bottom of this hill there was uh, like three or four trees that these deer were just pounding the acorns on. I mean, mm-hmm. going nuts on them. It looked like it looked like hog sign, right? Like going back to uh, for for the people who listen every week, going back to the Warren Womack episodes where he talks about finding that hot feed sign, find the hot feed trees. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, go back to that. That was probably in October that we did that episode with him, um, but. Uh, you you assume, you you have to make these assumptions if you don't know a hundred percent. Assume mm-hmm. they're they're bedding in the in the uh, clear cut in the thickest whatever thick area you find you have, and then assuming they're feeding down here down low in those in that bottom on wherever wherever your hot feed tree is. Uh, and typically, I find I don't know if you see the same thing in Missouri or Illinois or any of the other places that you're hunting. Typically, I find that daylight movement right there, if you hunt right in that feeding area, is going to be does. That's pretty much what you're going to find. And so having these places where you can go and do this observation sit and see if there's even any bucks coming to there, you got to get as close to the bedding maybe in the early season and closer to the food maybe even in in the later season. Does that make, does that sound accurate? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put myself, you know, in your, in your shoes, you know, a, a guy that's in a, it's in a situation like that. Like you guys have a bunch of like mountainous terrain, right? Yeah. It's a little, it's a little more hilly. Uh, and you'll, you'll find that, I mean, the Northern part of the Southeast is going to be uh, a little more hilly and then you start getting closer to the coast and obviously it gets a little bit flatter. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. My mind's kind of... That's fine. I mean, you're not from here. I guess mine and Adam's job here is to draw those parallels, right? Well, I was was thinking for guys that hunt private land, and even some public land has cattle on it, but I wouldn't sleep on cow pastures. Like, when it gets really cold like it is right now, driving down the interstate or even hunting back, you know, where I used to have a lot of private land back home where we hunted cattle pastures, when the, the, the temp drops, it's late season you can find the right field to be on they'll just pile up in that field it's probably not like it is in the midwest but it kind of gives you that same type of feel so i probably wouldn't sleep on uh, observing some areas like that as well yeah that's yeah. a good thought i mean you know that that road glass and you know there i guess there's a there's a whole bunch of different kind of observations you can do um i you know road it, it's basically just all about finding um like if you're going to a new area and you know you just got there, you you got to find the deer first. 
And if you have a place with a bunch of road access, you know, drive roads, you know, and see, even if there's a spot with a couple does out there and, you know, there's a, you know, some public on the backside of it. Well, just because there's not a buck out there, you know, right then during daylight doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, one hanging back there in the, in the brush. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, there's road, you know, observation, you know, driving around, you know, you can get way up high in a tree and you can observe that way. Um, like it doesn't really seem like an observation sit, but let's see, let's say you go into one of these areas with a feed tree and you, you try to, you try to cut the, cut the distance, you know, there's a buck that's, you know, up on a knob or, you know, there's a couple different points and you think, you know, which one he's on and you go ahead and hunt one and he comes down the other. Well, all of a sudden that just became an observation sit. Now you know exactly where to go the next day because you just saw him do it. So, I mean, even I think this is, this is observation sit, sit may be a strong word to use as much as just being flexible and being mobile. And I know you're using, uh, I know you're using Lone Wolf custom gear stuff, which is super lightweight, easy to set up, easy to tear down. Uh, I use a saddle. I think I, I know Adam uses a saddle. Um, a lot of guys listen to this are either, you know, probably a lightweight hang on or a saddle of some kind. Um, mm. and being mobile is maybe, maybe, Maybe we're doing observation sits all the time and we just don't call it that. It's just being a mobile hunter, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just being a mobile hunter and, you know, just going out there and, um, you know, looking at the timber and just, you know, believing what your eyes tell you. Um, you know, you'll hear some guys, they'll be like, oh, well, I've seen this, you know, my, well, my tree stands over here, but I see these deer that, you know, they're coming out over here. Well, then move. I mean, I know you guys know that. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah, know, it's true. It's it's crazy how many like every time I see a a permanent tree stand, especially like in the in the woods, and it looks like somebody's been sitting in it for years. Uh, I'm like, okay, obviously they put it up. They went through the effort of putting it up here for a reason. Mm-hmm. You, I, I I think that that's I think it's dumb not to think that there the tree stand is there for a reason, unless it's just obviously in a dumb spot. Right. Like you right. have, we have seen those, right. We've seen those. Yep. They're like, well, this is done. They're no, this is just easy. Um, but I think there are those spots. If, if you've got a spot marked on a map and you go in there and you see there's ladder stand in there. Well, that ladder stands probably in there. Cause a the guy probably hunted, hunted it and saw that there's deer there. Yeah. I can tell you, uh, the biggest buck I killed this year, I killed him. About, I don't know, 100 yards away from a ladder stand and had somebody been sitting in that ladder stand, they would have never seen that deer. But probably at some point, those deer were using right where that ladder stand was, right? They were, they, that, that's, I mean, it was in a good spot if you look Mm -hmm. at a map, but it's pretty safe to say that, you know, if you can get 60, 70, 80 yards away from one or just out of sight of one that's probably going to be more likely where the deer are going to be using it at. And, uh, yeah, we're, you know, downwind to some of those spots uh-huh. that, you know, get hunted religiously, you know, they'll just, they're still going to do what they're, what they're doing. They'll just hook that area wide, you know, just make sure it's safe with their nose before they, you know, go off and do other things. That's um, that, that reminds me, Adam, of the big giant 
velvet buck that you killed in Tennessee uh, a couple years back. That reminds me of that because, I mean, dude, <laughs> that video came out and uh, people saw the post. They, they, when you put stuff on the internet, people inevitably, oh, yeah. especially whenever they hunt the area, they're going to know the place that they hunt. I cannot tell quick. you how many people have reached out and been like, I know exactly where that's at. And <laughs> that kind of deer does not come off of that piece of property. Like those, that caliber of deer is not usually there. Um, but it was just kind of one of those situations. I think that's very, very similar. I mean, you were, as far as being within bow range, you were how like, 60 70 yards away from a ladder stand oh yeah it was that close six probably 80 yards maybe yeah because i was afraid going in that that guy was going to be there you know that his truck was there and he went on the other side thankfully it's it's pretty wild to think and that's a what what he's 164 inches right 164 inch eight point crazy (laughs) yeah big web it was it was interesting it's a cool deer man it was a cool dang deer and you you also saw a couple other really good oh yeah like for day. those yeah for hunters in that area to say they don't exist there <laughs> stay away from there that's cool. yeah yeah keep keep not going that's that's fine cool. um yeah, exactly. but it, it, it just goes to prove that point I, I mean we could probably sit here and talk about all the deer that we've killed within you know 100 yards of a ladder stand uh and yeah. i like i like your thought too jace for guys kind of thinking unconventional i think it's a a, a grave mistake to look at a ladder stand and say, Oh, nope, not going to come, not going to hunt here. Not going to hunt here yeah. at all. Not going to hunt this whole area. It just helped you. Right. I mean, if you know there's deer there and you're finding sign figure out how to still hunt it and use that ladder stand to your advantage. Yeah, exactly. And I mean that, like I was talking about before we started recording this, this area that I killed this January buck in, you should see the amount of broken arrows, tree tacks, <laughs> climber marks on trees, ladder stands, trail cameras that are in this area. But in that late season situation, wherever you have deer displacing, those deer are coming in there and they have, they have no clue what happened. And if you're in an early season situation, well, then that ladder stand hasn't been, you know, touched for eight months, and that's that's a virgin sit. And you know those those ladder stands, you know, a lot of times is there for reasons because that guy saw deer there. Yeah, such like a great point. Saying, yeah, they might just be moving, you know, seventy yards, you know, just going around that that ladder stand, but it, it can still be a great productive spot. Yeah, I mean. Man, I, I'm thinking about, like, this is what I always do in a podcast episode. As I'm talking, I'm like the worst planner in the world. Like, I have, I'll have i have an idea of, okay, this guy seems like this is kind of his strategy. We'll title this podcast this. Um, and now, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, like, this is just like a, a really cool beginner's, beginner's guide to mobile hunting, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about is just – just being mobile and how it, it sounds super simple. And most of the people listening to this probably have a saddle and, or have a climber or have a, a hang on or some type of mobile hunting 
setup, but I mean, we're really talking about some of the, some of the, I'm not going to say basics. I don't think they're basics at all mm-hmm. of mobile hunting, but some of the, 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 what's the, what's the word? I'm the bread and butter of mobile hunting. Like it's a lot of the basis of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it works for you, Jace, clearly. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't really been, you know, mobile hunting out of a tree stand for that long. I've always been, I've always been mobile. Um, I never, well, I hunted out of a tree stand three times before December of 2019. Um, December of 2019, I got my, I got my first mobile setup. And uh, these, these last two years have been, you know, my first, um, you know, two full seasons, you know, doing this style. So, you know, a lot of this stuff I'm talking about, it's kind of, it's kind of things that, oh, I don't even know what you'd call them it's just like you know could have had a v8 moment you know you just kind of bop yourself on the forehead it's like all right well i i way overthought that one yeah yeah so So it's kind of what were you doing what were you doing beforehand you said you were always mobile uh i'm interested to know Mm -hmm. like what was your method beforehand i hunted straight off the ground okay uh you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a blind or anything. I, I might make a natural blind or something like that. But most of, most of these gear on my wall, um, they're all, they're all off the ground. That's rad. That's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> That's crazy. That's, uh, and, and so I, I want to know like what, what inspired you to change that? I, a lot of people are the opposite. They'll be like tree stand, saddle, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, man, I'm just going straight to the ground. Like what, what yeah, you're I, I know. opposite. I'm, I'm like, I'm like the exact opposite of what, of what most people do. See all my buddies now they're, they're getting into the, you know, Oh my God, you know, ground hunting is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, stalking deer and whatnot. It's fun. I've just done all that already. And oh, it's just I, old t- news. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> right. I gotta, you gotta do something else. It's all old news. Um, the reason I switched is because I was putting myself up against, um, older bigger class animals and i was failing hard i mean just and well some of those years i was hunting with a recurve too that that didn't help anything Uh, (laughs) that usually doesn't i've never heard anybody like you know what the number one thing that i've done to kill big bucks is go to traditional (laughs) archery that was the greatest thing i've ever done (laughs) yeah off the ground (laughs) from the ground Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, now if anybody's trying to do that, good luck to you. You're sick. Uh, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna fail, but have fun. It's a lovely time. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I was I was always I was always mobile, and uh, that's that's the way my dad kind of you know uh, taught me. You know, as I was growing up hunting, was always just um, you know just be mobile. You know, move with the deer, and you can you can be really, really mobile on the ground. I would say a lot of the time, um, I was probably a little, a little impatient with my ground hunting because it's really easy to just stand up and walk, um, whenever you're doing that. But I was putting myself up against, you know, bigger, older age class animals, you know, on, on public land and just being in a tree stand, just simply being in a tree stand, is just I, I I can recall the first time that I was sitting in a tree stand 
and I actually had a deer come up to me and it looked up in that tree and like hunting on the ground. I'm like, all right, well, toast now. It just put its head back down and just went back to what it was doing. I was like, <laughs> what in the world just happened? I was like, what is this? I was like, oh my God, I've been missing out on this all my life. <laughs> what all this is. And, uh, and with that grew, you know, grew a lot of confidence of just what I could hunt and, uh, you know, being able to, you know, go in somewhere and get away with something that I could, you know, never could do on the, on the ground. So it's been great. Have you noticed, has there been like a, like every, when you're carrying in a tree stand and all the gear and all that stuff, you're like, freaking crap, this sucks. Yeah. yeah going from literally having nothing but a pair of binoculars and a recurve in your hand to, you know, even the, the lightest weight, you know, stuff now and being a, you know, a fairly minimalist hunter. Yeah. There's times where I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to get rid of all this stuff. But, uh, I, I guess whenever I'm, whenever I'm going in and scouting, I, I have a tendency now to just literally bring nothing with me just so I can be, just so I can scout more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've noticed the same thing for myself. Uh, I used to try to film every time that I was going scouting and carrying all the filming equipment, and then like like I said, I got I get pretty impatient and not impatient, but just like wondering about the like the what ifs. Like, what yep. if I see a big giant buck? I want to I want to have all of my stuff so that I can <clears throat> so I can hang and hunt. But then uh, I killed a deer off the ground this year with my bow nice. and I was super jacked up about it. I'm like, I don't need to carry all of my sticks and platform and all this stuff. Like I can go in with the mission of scouting and be more effective at scouting. And if I happen to find something that I really like, I can just sit on the ground somewhere because yep. I know it's possible. I know it can mm -hmm. work. It's, it's a little bit harder, but it's definitely it possible. You're not going to just, not get to hunt that night you can still hunt if you find something good yeah i mean i think the i, I think also a, a bigger a bigger thing was when, whenever i was doing a lot of my ground hunting in southern missouri there's lower deer populations and it is a lot easier to beat one nose and one set of eyeballs than it is to beat you know 10 20 30 deer that you know might be coming through an mm -hmm. area you know usually it seemed like the first deer that comes in, if you don't shoot them, you're going to get, you're going to get cracked. And then it, you know, <laughs> just messes up all the rest of the deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. You, it, ground hunting is really great. Whenever the first deer that comes out is the one that you want to shoot. <laughs> like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> that's no lie. No lie at all. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. Adam, is there anything else that, uh, that you want to run by Jace before we get off? Man, the one topic I don't think we talked about through observation was trail cameras. Are you running trail cameras year round? No, or is that something you do at all? Nope i I don't run trail cameras at all. I uh, well, I guess I I did set one outside my my house in my yard one time. <laughs> There's like three shooters that came through. <laughs> I was going away too far to hunt, but uh, but no, I I I don't do any any trail cameras, dude. That's uh. That that's a rarity these days. I'm the same way. I don't, I, I nice. know that I need to, um, I'll tell you why I don't Jace. And you tell me if it matches up with yours. Cause if it does, then we don't even really have to talk about it. Um, yeah. 
I don't because I, I don't use trail cameras for the same reason that I don't use a fish finder when I go fishing because I know mm-hmm. if there's an area that like it's the opposite of being mobile. I will just stay on a same brush pile, submerged brush pile. If I know there's a big fish that's showing up on that, on that fish finder and I'll stay mm-hmm. there and I'll stay there and I'll stay there and I'll waste my whole day trying to catch that one stupid fish. And yep. I won't go to all the other areas that I know I can catch fish. Same thing yeah. with, with trail cameras for me. I don't want to yeah, go yeah. and hunt deer that I, it's just, yeah, I just can't do it. I, I don't know. It just seems like it, to me, if I were to throw, you know, a picture in the mix, in the mix, it would kind of be like, and let's say this picture was a, was a week ago. All right. Well, that was a week ago. It's like, you know, I, it's like me, it's like me going out somewhere and scouting something and then going back and hunting it a week later. It's like, that's, I'm, I'm way more in tune to just hunting red, hot, you know, fresh sign, looking, going into an area, looking and seeing what's going on right then and right there. And, you know, catching up with the times and, and, and doing it that way. I, like I was saying earlier, I do tend to overthink some things and it just, it just feels like that's just ripe with, with overthinking situations. And, and that's coming from a guy, I'm not looking for a specific deer. I'm looking for a specific kind of deer. Maybe if a guy was looking, you know, for a, you know, world-class deer, you know, that's, that's probably going to help you with those endeavors, you know, just, just knowing where, you know, the area that that deer was in, but I, I don't, I don't do that. And that's just speculation also. Sure. Yeah. I, I get that. Like, um, I, th- I think there are ways I, I notice a lot of people who shoot deer consistently every single year in the, mm. and it's, it's a cringy term to me, but it is what it is. People say like, Oh, he daylighted yesterday. I'm going in there. And I'm like, yep. that that's cool. Um, yeah. but what if he didn't walk by that camera, but he's been coming through there every single day, right behind yeah. your trail camera and you would yep. never know it and you would never go hunt it because yep. he didn't show up on camera. Um, yeah. that's, that's my hang up on it. But the people who consistently kill bucks in September every single year are running cell cameras. Um, yep. and, and so it's kind of a, it's a sacrifice in a lot of ways because in that early season, especially, you're going to be spending all your time just trying to find a place where a buck might be in the daylight, and you're going to right. sp- spread out so thin. Um, whereas, if you've got a cell camera up that's catching a buck coming through in that spot three out of five days, you know you yeah. can go in there with confidence. And I, I struggle with that in early season. It just almost sounds like cheating. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. There is the purest I mean, it, part. There is. Yeah, I mean, it, I I'm not gonna sit here and bash on anybody that wants to do that. If if they want to do that, that's just fine. But I feel like there's almost like a cap to your learning curve if that's all you know. Sure. Because if I can, it, the thing I've really been working on is, well, you know, the thing we've been talking about, you know, being able to go in there, you know, lay your eyes on a piece of ground and kind of figuring out what's going on. You can take that with you basically no matter where you go i guess you could also take 20 cell cams with you wherever you go but 
it just the the whole process of you know finding and figuring out deer is the is the thing that's really that's really thrilling you know with with this and it just seems like it takes a little part out of the process sure that makes a lot of sense i think that's going to be the title of the episode trail cameras are cheating with jace allen <laughs> oh, dude. It'll go viral. Yeah, we're, yes. we're going to get so many. It's going to be the highest listened to podcast we've ever had. Uh, <laughs> yeah, screw anybody that uses trail cameras and cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that. I, I'm with you. You know, everybody's experience is their own, and, and there's a lot of situations. I wish I had one uh, to put up, but I just I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. And I'm, I'm very similar, and, like, I'm not really hunting a – specific deer i think one of the main reasons i would like to have a cell camera is it would help me to not sell myself short in Mm -hmm. like knowing the type of deer that are have been in the area within a week or two weeks yeah um and going in with confidence knowing there is a caliber of deer that's in here and not to shoot the first one that's just decent i feel like my season this year i shot good bucks you know nothing it was it was definitely not like uh, shooting a bunch of basket rack deer or anything like that. Like they're solid deer, but I know that I'm capable of better, and mm-hmm. um, I want I want to really know the type of the quality of the deer that obviously those big mature bucks aren't going to be as common. They're not going to come out often, but if you know mm-hmm. that they're there, then you won't sell yourself short when you know one that's you know, not as, not as big shows up. Right. And so, yeah, you know, I get that. I understand people using them. I, and I understand people using them for every reason, probably that there is. I get it. It's, it's the same reason I like to hunt with a gun too, is because yeah. I like to, if I see a deer at 70 yards, I like to shoot it. Right. Like that's, oh, that's yeah. fun. Dude, believe you me. Really I'm quick. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, man. Uh, I was going to say, I'd give a different perspective on the trail cameras, especially with cell cameras. This is the second year I've ran them. Uh, and this year, one of the cool things was I noticed hot does coming into that area because you'd see little bucks pushing these does. And it's like, okay, well, I've got a hot doe in this area. It might not necessarily be you're hunting a certain buck that you're getting on camera, even though I knew they were there because of the camera, but also knew when that hot doe was there, <laughs> it was like precision, right? Like you can go in at the exact right time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it was I also like behind that. your house, so you could actually go in at the exact right time. <laughs> <laughs> that, which it is uh, a lot. Which is great, <laughs> you know. Oh, maybe there's a hot doe out there. I'm, I'll be right back. <laughs> you better be glad I moved, or I would absolutely have defriend, unfriended <laughs> yeah. you on Facebook that's, right now. <laughs> that's the only reason I said it. That's the only reason I said it is because you can't hunt anymore. Uh, man, that's awesome. Well, Jace, uh, appreciate you coming on the show, man. Talking about your season talking about your hunting style and uh obviously you're gonna go out next year and you know do it again and so i look forward to look forward to watching that and seeing you um evolve into a cell camera hunter i think eventually you're probably just gonna cave and and go to it and uh (laughs) i'm just kidding yeah, I'm gonna get an airbow too. Yeah. <laughs> airbow, you're gonna get next year you're gonna have a double man ladder stand up in all the public land and uh, uh ladder daddy in it. It's just uh it's just the evolution, it's a progression, man. And uh and yep. we're we're here for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard saying where this will take me, but yeah, ladder stand without a doubt. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. 
As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. And make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.